Welcome back to Emmaism, a philosophy podcast for students of philosophy, because that really is what we all are, seekers of knowledge. Happy Thursday, guys. It's time to philosophize. Um, today, I'm going to take a step back from the moral and political philosophy theme that's been going on here for the past few weeks. Instead, I'll be backtracking to St. Augustine because let's face it, guys... I'm having major FOMO from not being at an Augustinian school full of Augustinian scholars teaching me about Augustine. <laughs> um, but yeah, just to convey the gist of this, I've been drawn to Stoicism since I first learned about it in Dr. Camacho's Augustine in Antiquity class. Just something about it was so intriguing to me. Stoics, in a way, are invincible. I want to be invincible. Don't you want to be invincible? That's epic. That's awesome. Um, but Stoics, they evaluate an event based on a level of control, whether it's, you know, in or out of their control. Uh, if it's indeed out of their control, which much, which many things are, um, then the virtuous reaction is to be indifferent. Um, well, I, I guess I wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't really be a reaction as so far as it's indifference, but the point is that. Nothing outside of their control can harm them mentally or cause them suffering. Um, the Stoic of all Stoics is uh, Epictetus. He wrote this booklet called the Enchiridion. I'm not really going to elaborate much on it, but it's essentially like a guide, yes, no, and do, do not for aspiring Stoics. Like, you just got to know who he is. The guy, Epictetus, just Stoic of all Stoics. And, you know, Shameless plug, um, if you want to hear more about the Enchiridion and Epictetus himself, um, season two, episode three, you know, scroll down a little bit, uh, a trial and error philosopher is the title you'll look for, and that'll answer your questions on that. Anywho, Epictetus is a true Stoic. Augustine, eh, he's kind of a Stoic, but we'll get into that later. Essentially, being a true Stoic would eliminate suffering. I mean, Anyone can tell you after a few interactions with me that there's no way I'm a pre-practicing stoic at all. I get pre-stressed about things that are out of my control that haven't even happened yet. I cause myself suffering. (laughs) So clearly, there's a lot of work to be done on my end to carry out my stoic dreams. Um, But all this stoic practice amounts to being able to achieve a certain state of mind. The Stoic teaching of apatheia refers to a state of mind in which a person is not suffering from or disturbed by their passions. Stoics aim for apatheia. Moreover, they believe that apatheia is required for attaining the good and happy life. As a Catholic, I agree with this statement. Um, I think that the root of all that goes wrong in society is due to people being moved and disturbed by their passions. Um, Stoics seem to have it so right. Apatheia is an escape from all suffering and essentially evil. Um, It's a calculated escape at that. But also, we're humans, and we're humans living in a society where religion is no longer at the forefront of our minds. Um, I know that Stoics may not necessarily be Catholics or perhaps any other religion, but I do think that spirituality plays an important role in achieving apatheia. Um, mostly because it entails that the person, the actor, is not being disturbed by their passions. That resistance uh, requires a level of faith that secular communities and non-religious people do not have. Um, Non-religious people, 
generally do not have a force that morally guides them from being tainted by their passions. Thus, they suffer and desire. Um, Suffering and desiring are obstacles in the way of achieving apatheia. Stoics believe that the human experience um, encapsulates suffering because we want things that are not in our power to get or to keep. Um, Stoicism offers a solution only to want things that are up to us. This is hard, though, because what if I really, really want cranberry juice from the dining hall, and then I go in, and the machine's out of order? I technically had no business wanting cranberry juice, because its availability in the dining hall is totally out of my control. So why should I be upset about it? Why am I upset about it? I am upset about it, so what am I doing wrong? Um, Stoicism is a way for us to train our rational faculties to recognize what is not under our power and be indifferent to them. So, essentially, our suffering is reducible to a moral response and how we can train ourselves to rationally deliberate. In regards to me wanting cranberry juice, if I'm a trained Stoic, um, I would have never desired it in the first place. I would have been indifferent to the opportunity of having or not having cranberry juice. (laughs) That's hard, especially in a world where consumer preferences drive business production. So if we really want something, it's available somewhere, you know? We don't really have to change our wants based on (laughs) what is offered. Um, So... That's just something about our world that isn't really... It presents a a challenge to stoicism and the practice of it and the understanding of why it is valuable. Um, But I'm I'm just trying to say that it's really tough to eliminate our wants just as a regular human being who wants and desires. Um, To achieve apatheia, one one must have constant spiritual vigilance. This is, again hard for those who don't have a guiding spiritual force it's an intensive process to train yourself to be a stoic you can't do it unless you have an intention and a trans-historical dogmatic foundation to guide you that's what it takes to get to apatheia for stoics like epictetus this sounds super promising i mean like hey these ogs think that it's virtuous and attainable thing to train yourself in this way they also believe that moral good and bad are the only things under our control in life um so in retrospect maybe cranberry juice wasn't the best example though it is an easy way to show what generally stoicism is indeed we get to choose to be honest wise or not furthermore we get to will our moral response to situations that is the rock of our freedom to Stoics. If humans can succeed at that, then we will be free and at peace in a state of apatheia. Um, as long as we can, you know, will our moral response. That's just the hard part. <laughs> it, it's worthy to note, though, that in this worldview, Stoics believe that emotions are irrational and that rational deliberation can train our emotions so that the initial response to a circumstance is indifference. This is the idea that there is an action that occurs that causes a consequence. Instead of emoting after discovering the consequence, the reaction passes through your rational faculties. And in order, or in recognition of that, um, you're indifferent to it. Alright, so 
Now that we have the general idea of Stoicism, let's talk about Augustine. What does any of this have to do with him anyways? Um, Augustine takes this general idea of Stoicism, but and he adopts it. But he's unlike Epictetus in many ways. He adopts it in a different way and more dynamic and in tune with the human person way. Um, Augustine is similar in the fact that he believes in the Stoic intervention, when belief comes in between action and consequence. Augustine also seems to say that reason gives humans control over opinion, but not over fact. You know, he shares this with uh, the Stoics and Epictetus. He also holds that the inability to understand that reason gives humans control over opinion is a piece of our unhappiness. Eh, This is kind of like what I was saying earlier. The failure to achieve apatheia is what I think to be the root of societal unhappiness and evil. You know, when we're drawn by our desires and we're just, we're, when we're slaves to our desires, then we desire things that are not in our control to get or to keep. This is the root of it. We become unhappy, then we act out of unhappiness. So, yeah, Augustine's on the right track, I think. Um, opinion causes an uh, irrational emotional response, usually. Um, actually, every single time. Specifically, when a moral event occurs, you have an effective response that corresponds to what reality truly is. This is a rational deliberation. Um, and then you have a reaction that aligns with reason. That is the mastery of stoic intervention. Augustine is also the master of overcoming desires and choosing to live a life of virtue. He was a rhetorician for his life, and with that, he was a Manichaean. His status as a Manichaean rhetorician opened doors for him to form connections with high-status officials and keep a certain social level. At this point of his life, he was a slave to his desires for social status. In addition to that, he also felt his desires of lust. Honestly, this is what pushed him over the edge to convert, I think, other than the other amazing interventions like Tully Leger. For goodness sakes, will you all just read Confessions, please? (laughs) But Augustine differs from Epictetus in his real-life applications of the Stoic ideals. This is um, most evident in two places in Confessions. One in Book 4 and the other in Book 9. Yes, I'm about to pull out my favorite book right now. (laughs) Um, But in Book 4, Augustine grieves the death of his friend. The ideal of how Augustine should have dealt with the death of his friend is stoic but it's incredibly difficult to achieve if he were a true stoic like epictetus augustine would have understood that his friend's death was out of his control and that he could though control his emotions as to have a moral response of indifference about the situation obviously this is extremely hard for anyone it almost seems inhumane not to cry because of the death of a loved one But Stoicism holds that if it is indeed an event outside the realm of your control, then you must not suffer an emotion, rather be indifferent. Augustine is devastated by the death of his friend. He weeps and he mourns. Though in other aspects of his life, like overcoming desires of status and lust, he is quite Stoic. Book 4 and the death of his friend shows that the practice of Stoicism can be disrupted by natural human responses 
and that the process and development to become a true practicing Stoic is indeed fallible. Um, Augustine, time and time again, uses tears to demonstrate the impact of certain events on his life. Crying is not very Stoic, because it's usually initiated by the irrational uh, motion of intense sadness or joy. <laughs> Crying is not very Stoic. Gotta repeat, repeat that a few times to myself. <laughs> Just kidding. Augustine, he cries multiple times in his confessions. Um, he cries at the death of Monica. He cries during his conversion to Catholicism and at his friend's death, with a, which I just mentioned. Um, Augustine says in Book 9 that he found comfort in weeping before God about Monica and for Monica, about himself and for himself. The tears that he had been holding back, he now realized to flow as plentifully as they would and strewed them as a ben- bed beneath his heart. That's from Book 9. Um, by sharing this in Confessions, he signals that there's this recognition in his tears of loss of a good thing. Crying to Augustus is a powerful marker of knowledge. In crying over the loss of a quote-unquote good thing, you have to come to the understanding that one, what you're crying over is indeed a good thing, and two, that the loss of a good thing is bad. Um, here, weeping is healing, moreover it's formative. Uh, crying over the death of his mother shows Augustine that he loves his mother as a finite, infallible be- being. It's an act of humility. Um, this is where I resonate with Augustine, uh, not just the crying. <laughs> I believe that humility and understanding of these meta principles, like what a good thing is, are important in our development as human beings. I don't think that we're meant to rationally deliberate over the most touching and heartbreaking moments of our life. That's where Stoicism falls short for me. Um, the Stoics would completely disagree, though, and say that his weeping and crying of any sort is a reflection of one's weakness and purposeful deliberation. But back to my point, I don't think that purposeful deliberation is meant for every single act or the intervention of every single act. Um, This is also where religion may come in. I certainly do not believe that every time I take the Eucharist, I should be indifferent. Um, You know, that's, that's a Catholic thing. This is a moment of miracle and joy, yet the Stoics would say that my emotion and response to that would be a reflection of my weakness and purposeful deliberation. And by the way, joy is an amazing thing. If a feeling of joy is also a reflection of my weakness and purposeful deliberation, then maybe I don't want to purposely deliberate. (laughs) Um, I understand that the point of being a slave to our desires is not a good quality and will not lead to an everlasting life of virtue. I can indeed rationally deliberate over various moral questions that will perhaps lead to a reaction of indifference for the majority of my decisions that would, you know, lead to an everlasting life of virtue. But to surrender the moments of true joy and from those which what is learned from deep sadness is too much of a cost for the adoption of stoicism for me. Um, I do think that we must resolve the tension between the strenuous calls of stoicism and the invaluable experiences from the fallibility of the human person in order to create some sort of system of thought that will lead us to no longer being slaves to our desires yet free to experience natural and impactful emotions that enhance the human experience. 
That being said, religion holds great potential in this realm. The various foundations and principles that guide followers to conquer their desires and live for what is greater than themselves is great. This is a good thought, but I do think it leaves too much room for struggle and suffering. But maybe that's the point. Stoics do have it right as to far as they achieve a state of apatheia and become invincible. But it's too strict for me, and I don't think it allows enough room for being human. But maybe that's the point of that. (laughs) But should we really water down Stoicism so that it's more inclusive? Probably not, because it would affect the validity and coherence of the worldview. So, who has it right? Honestly, I don't know. I do know that it should be a mixture between Catholicism and Stoicism. Marcus Aurelius, a famous Stoic, once said, No man is free who is not a master of himself. To be a master of yourself is what we're aiming for. To be a master of yourself is to stay true to yourself in moments like those Augustine experienced when he wept. Master of yourself is the theme in both Stoicism and Catholicism, which is why perhaps someone, one day, maybe me, should dive into this and solve the school of thought problem. (laughs) That's all I have for today's Amazon podcast. I hope you all enjoyed, and we'll be back next time for new exploration. Until then, keep searching for the truth.